Thanks, Aaron, and thanks, Hillside Church, for inviting me to join you this uh, summer Sunday. Great to be with you and consider the issue of refugees. And a big thank you for your partnership with Journey Home Community over these past years. Uh, you've provided support in a variety of ways, uh, Ride for Refuge, uh, prayers, financial support, individual volunteers, your own Mike and Melissa were core hosts at our refugee houses for, I think, about a year and a half or so. So thank you. It's been a delight to partner together. And when I'm with you, I just feel like I'm with friends. And I uh, appreciate your warm welcome. The United Nations World Refugee Day is June 20 every year. And the World Evangelical Alliance, along with the Refugee Highway Partnership, have designated the two Sundays on either side of June 20th as World Refugee Sundays. So we have just come through that season and are still kind of lingering there. For 10 years, uh, Journey Home Community has been faithfully building awareness and advocating on behalf of refugees. And let me tell you, it's been some tough slugging. There's been negative public perception, there's been uh, some negative media coverage, there's been protectionism even within the church, and it's been kind of difficult going. But in seven short weeks this fall, all that changed, and I think I had mentioned that to, to you when I was with you for a short presentation in December. September 2nd, I believe it was, media attention was turned on that lifeless young body washed up on the Turkish beach. And seven weeks later, we had an election in Canada with a new government and a much more positive refugee agenda. So we have seen over these last months a real switch in mentality and thinking and response and engagement with refugees, both inside the church and outside the church. And let me tell you, in Journey Home, it's been busy. The global picture, though, needs our increased attention. At the end of 2014, there were 60 million forcibly displaced people in the world. At the end of 2015, that number went up another 10% to almost 65 million. That's about one in every 120 people in the world have been forced out of their home. It's been my privilege to visit the country of Lebanon a couple of different times just to be part of the Syrian refugee crisis. And I've visited with Syrian refugees in their tent settlements, and I've connected with church and refugee agency leaders in the country of Lebanon and in other Middle Eastern countries. And I've observed churches there reaching out to refugees. Two messages came clear to me in my brief times in Lebanon. First, there are Christian Arab brothers and sisters who are doing amazing work among refugees. When we hear the word Arab, we don't automatically think church and outreach and Christians ministering. That's what's happening in the Middle East. Second observation was that there's an unprecedented movement of God going on in that part of the world. I remember one church service I was in, and there were multiple women in the congregation with hijabs on. Muslim background people in a Baptist church on a Sunday morning, worshiping praising God, responding to Jesus. And that was just a small indication of the scores of people that are coming to faith in that part of the world in the history that we live in right now. 
A long-awaited harvest is happening in the Middle East. A long-awaited development in the cause of world missions, if you've been following at all, that area of Christianity. So we are in a really unique place in history where the world has become a much smaller place, and that has significant implications. And we've been seeing those being played out in a variety of ways on our TV screens and in the media and as we read our papers and in social media. Not the least of which has been the increase in the refugee crisis. There is a certain kind of radicalization going on in the world, and that's caused much conflict and destruction. We're all very aware of that. And we can have a variety of responses to those conflicts, those mass displacements, those destructive forces going on in our world. We can reject the reality of this activity and say, well, the media is overplaying it. I'm not sure that's really the extent of really all that's happening. And we can live in our Canadian bubble. Or we can reject the reality of this activity and ignore it and see things as just kind of business as usual for us in the church and in our nation. We can re ignore, we can reject. Or we can counter it with a new kind of radicalization. My hope is that the trend in global radicalization will be countered by kingdom radicalization as we attempt to really live out and live into the kingdom of God. Get out of our comfort zone and into true kingdom living. It seems that there's an inevitable clash of two kingdoms always going on in our world. And the title of the sermon today asks the question, in whose kingdom do you and I live? The answer may not be as obvious as we would like to think. First, kingdom definition. Contrary to some evangelical thinking, the biblical notion of the kingdom of God is not a future eternal destination out there somewhere at the end of our lives, nor is it a national institution or government. It is rather the rule of God on earth here and now being enacted among us and, of course, culminating in that eternal dimension. This is a really critical understanding because misunderstood, it has led to untold grief and political misdirection. Do you remember some of the conversation between Jesus and his disciples in the crowd about the kingdom? Misunderstanding. Even at the end of Jesus' life, after that time with his disciples over those years, there was still the question in Acts 1-6, Lord, is this the time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? We say, guys, like, how long does it take you to understand? I would submit that we're still living with our own variations of that question today. Lord, Shouldn't we be very careful about who we let into our kingdom or nation? After all, you've given us this land to own and rule. Lord, how many refugees can we really responsibly take in? We don't want to upset the delicate economic balance that we've established over the resources that we own. 
What about the lifestyle we've worked so hard to create for ourselves? Lord, won't these newcomers be a threat to the Canadian social fabric that we've established? We've been working so hard to restore values to make this a truly Christian nation. And now we have all these other religions coming in and upsetting those values. So my sermon in a sentence today is just this. God's call is one of continuously switching kingdom allegiance. And folks, it doesn't happen once for all. From our kingdom to his, from a national allegiance, a Canadian allegiance even, to his kingdom allegiance, and doing that constantly. It's a continual renewal of allegiance, sometimes daily, sometimes hourly. I like the definition of commitment I heard some time ago. Commitment is simply making the same decision over and over again. If you've noticed, as I, as I have, that decisions aren't made once for all, we're, we're making those decisions, the same decisions, over and over and over again. If you have a Bible or your phone or something and you'd like to follow along just a short scripture passage, I'd like to base our thoughts today in Luke chapter 12. And I'd just like to read a few verses this morning. Luke chapter 12. Verse 29 to 34. And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to what? Give you the kingdom. Seek his kingdom. All these things will be added to you. Sell your possessions. Give to charity. Make for yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'd like to suggest four characteristics of the kingdom and relate these characteristics to our refugee response. First, the kingdom's inhabitants are pilgrims, not permanent residents, not settlers. Abraham lived as an alien dwelling in tents. Sounds a lot like a modern-day refugee camp. Moses and the Exodus the early Christians in Acts being scattered, Jesus not having a home to lay his head, many of these being forcibly displaced, exiles seeking a different kind of home. But our inclinations are to settle first and then accumulate. Those aren't the characteristics of pilgrims or sojourners. Jesus says in Luke 12, sell your possessions. Hmm. I think of a recent young couple from Afghanistan who came to us with little more than the clothes on their backs and a small shared backpack. He has an IT background, and they were a progressive young couple, but they were pilgrims traveling very lightly. However, it doesn't take long for refugees 
to start accumulating, just like the rest of us. We had two Cuban couples living in a three-bedroom apartment sharing in actually the building that I live in. And they found the abundance of treasures in the back alleys of Burnaby and soon had a living room organ in their shared apartment. It's amazing how we can so quickly start accumulating. And as we move families out of our refugee houses into their permanent residence, it doesn't take long for them to accumulate a fair bit for that first move. Any of you who've connected with refugees know the refugee journey, that they are pilgrims, strangers, sojourners, especially for refugee claimants who are still uncertain about their future when they come to Canada. If anyone understands the refugee journey, it should be the citizens of God's kingdom. Second, the kingdom's approach is radical. It is countercultural. It violates many of the cultural norms and values that we have adopted in our lifestyle. And may I say that the kingdom is actually countercultural to some of the church's culture. There is a clash. My colleague Brad, in his first year at Missions Fest, where we have an exhibit every year to try and create refugee awareness, was surprised at the pushback he got from fellow believers coming by, questioning refugee ministry. Why should we be letting all of these people, are they illegal? On and on those kinds of questions. Luke 12 says, Do not seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink. Sell your possessions so you can give to charity. I've heard one or two of those rare stories of Jesus' followers giving away their retirement savings in order to start a new kingdom ministry. Refugees show the radical element of leaving it all behind including family, resources, culture, and sometimes even personal identity. I think of a family from Central America who came to us, a very successful business family. I think she had a dress business and he was a successful accountant. And they had a comfortable lifestyle. Kids had their own bedrooms. They may have even had some hired help. They came to Canada and it was a step down economically for them. All of a sudden now they had to share this small house with, with a fairly large family. And they were kind of tripping over each other and wondering how they would survive. But for them, safety and security was much more important than their accumulations. And they were willing to pay the price and make the radical decision to leave it all. May I submit to you today that we aren't forced to leave it all behind as refugees are. Rather, we have the enviable position of being able to choose to leave it behind in order to become involved in kingdom living. For some, they're only too happy to leave an oppressive culture behind. But for others, it's a radical decision to step away from all that is familiar in the country they love. Third, the kingdom's entrance is by invitation and it's freely chosen. This is not a citizenship that one is born into, nor is it forced upon anyone. Entrance into this kingdom is different, and it's like a breath of fresh air in our world that's so governed by force and manipulation and deception and corruption. 
God always invites us and woos us to himself and allows us the option of refusing. Luke 12, again, your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. We invite refugee claimants into journey home community, people from different religious backgrounds, and we make it clear that this is a community of people who are followers of Jesus, but that our assistance is given unconditionally. You don't have to line up and be part of a Bible study or attend a church or plug into this group or that group. You just come and receive help because that's what Jesus offers to all of us. Many, in fact, most have chosen that assistance. A few have rejected the invitation, but they have done so freely. Again, we freely offer prayer and a Bible if they so choose. And again, most welcome, although a few decline. This idea of invitation reminds me of the writing of C.S. Lewis who talks about a young boy being content with making mud pies in his summer backyard when there's an invitation by the sea for a vacation there awaiting him. And I think of how we're satisfied with so little when there is so much being offered to us. I'm not so much for the motivation of guilt as being a healthy incentive for sustaining long-term positive action. I would rather invite people into this fabulous experience of letting go of the smallness of our ambitions and stepping into all that God has for us. It's an incomparable trade. And as we look for churches and individuals to come and partner with us and volunteer with us, we're looking for people whom God is already tapping on the shoulder and saying, come and be part of this grand adventure of kingdom living. That motivates me, and I suspect that's what motivates you as well. What a 10 years it's been in this grand refugee adventure. So forth, the kingdom's scope is all-encompassing. The kingdom of God spans time, history, national boundaries. It's global. It's a movement of Jesus' followers. And for these followers, it affects every part of their lives. But because they freely accept the invitation, they also welcome the opportunity for whole transformation. One of our journey home beliefs is that we are all mutually transformed as we work in ministry together. God is as interested in what he's doing in my life as director of journey home and the volunteer's life who comes to our community dinner as he is in what's going on in the refugees' lives who we are ministering to and in the service that we're giving him. I think it's easy for us to look at how to respond to refugee, the refugee crisis and have one of two responses. The first we know so well, it's easy to be fearful, hesitant, reticent, be protective, maybe even to find rationale for our hesitancy in the affirmation of other church people who think like we do. Or we fall into the other ditch of glad-handing our refugee accomplishment and pointing our fingers at our neighbors to the south and saying they just don't seem to get it down there in the USA, do they? 
Look at what we've done, 25,000 and counting Syrian refugees. So we stand in judgment and we live with a bit of an air of self-righteousness. But before we get too smug, let me point you to a National Post column where the, the columnist Matthew Fisher says that Canada should be aware of being a little too self-congratulating. If we want to compare, let's not compare ourselves to the USA. Let's compare ourselves to Sweden. We're proportionate to their population. We should have taken in 670,000 Syrian refugees. Or Finland, 210,000. Or to match Germany's response, a half a million. So all of a sudden our 25,000 seems to have shrunk a wee bit. I think our proper Christian response is neither of these. Not fear, not judgment, but one that embraces what the God of the nations wants to do through you and through me. And we ask him how we can be involved in this great kingdom adventure. This will give us purpose, meaning, fulfillment, and take us into, I would suggest, a whole new realm of living. Luke 12, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So God's call is one of continuously switching kingdom allegiance. And I might add, for the church and for the individual. It's a kingdom where the inhabitants are pilgrims. The approach is radical. The entrance is by invitation and freely chosen. And the scope is just all-encompassing. So this call to embrace the kingdom of God gives us the biblical foundation for refugee ministry. Now you may ask, what does it mean on the ground? What's the practical involvement? How do we engage? Well, I'd like to take the next few moments just to talk about a few of those things. Three ways refugees come to Canada. They come government-sponsored. They come privately sponsored, as you have chosen to do. Those determinations are all made outside of Canada, where refugees run through the UNHCR, the UN Convention for High Commission for Refugees process, are granted refugee status, are living outside their country of origin, and are sponsored to come either by the government or by a private group, such as a church group or a community group, to come to Canada. Government-sponsored privately sponsored. There's a third way they come. They just show up. They come as asylum seekers, seeking refugee status inside of Canada. And because Canada is a signatory to the UN Convention for Refugees, we provide people like that an opportunity to come to share their story, to have a refugee hearing, and determine whether their case meets the official UN definition of being a refugee and suffering persecution because of their state. That's the category of people and the target population of Journey Home Community these past 10 years. That category is far less supported and uh, far more marginally involved in our communities, and that's the group that we feel God has led us to be involved with. Normal statistics on refugees arriving to Metro Vancouver, apart from this, this great increase the last year or so, is historically this about eight to 900 government-sponsored refugees a year. And I'm taking a rough, wild guess at maybe three to 400 privately sponsored a year, and about 1,000 refugee claimants or asylum seekers a year. 
So annually, roughly 2,000 refugees coming into our city every year. That's adding to our homeless population for sure. It's adding to the housing crisis for sure. But it is an opportunity for the church for sure. Well, how did Journey Home start? And I probably shared a few details of the story. And as I did some research on this whole refugee claimant population and brought that back to my church small group, my home group, we began to think and pray over the next months if we should be doing something. We were a group of volunteers, just kind of wondering if God might be saying something to us about kingdom living. Then things got a little more serious when somebody offered their rental house. And all of a sudden, we had something specific to be thinking and praying about. Others from the church joined us, and I remember taking that first little offering. We needed a few dollars, so we did that, and we raised $700 for our fledgling refugee ministry. We prayed in the house that summer, and by late summer, early fall, we had two newly arrived refugee families living in that house in Surrey, a family from Mexico and a family from Afghanistan. We were just a group of volunteers, and we were learning refugee ministry on the fly. And it was a pretty heady, exhilarating time, believe you me. Lots of us were still working in our regular jobs, and on the evenings and weekends, and we were just doing what we could to help these families get established. Fortunately, we had a few people that had some daytime time availability, and they were able to do some of that work during the daytime. In a few months, we had registered a nonprofit. We had formed a small board, and we had, were carrying out refugee settlement. That was just over 10 years ago, and some 400 refugees later from some 40 different nations. Small beginnings in a church home group as just a band of volunteers, but willing to make an impact. Don't underestimate small beginnings. What do we do? Well, we do three basic things. First, we provide housing. We have a couple of refugee houses uh, in partnership with Olivet Baptist Church, and we provide housing for the first three to five months of a refugee stay. We have 12 housing units with BC Housing that they've made available to us for a longer-term stay for more vulnerable families. Second, we provide resettlement assistance. All of those community resources that refugee need, how do we link them in to legal support, to community um, schooling and education, to resources, uh, food banks, um, uh, child care, all of those kinds of things, the library, employment. Third, and not the least important, relational care. People are leaving everything behind, including their human support network and their family. And they need love. They need people in their lives. They're probably a lot more used to having people in their lives on a constant basis than we are in our Canadian, rather individualistic society. And so relational care is critical and contributes to the mental well-being with all of the trauma that they've gone through. So with these housing units, with a team of four staff, and with an army of volunteers, we try to be faithful in this kingdom calling, along with support of partner churches like you. Who are these claimants who are facing persecution and need to leave, you ask? 
Why don't they go through the process overseas and become a refugee there and then wait in queue and all of those kinds of questions come to us? Well, a human rights lawyer fighting a corrupt government and police force. And when your kids start getting targeted, you flee. A couple in disfavor with their family because of their marriage choice. And for that, some, that means a death threat. A sex, successful businessman targeted for extortion. Someone fleeing wartime conflict in Burundi. An extended family from Eastern Europe who are being persecuted because of their gypsy ethnicity. An Islamic scholar who is teaching moderation. And that doesn't go down too well in Taliban, Afghanistan. These are the people that God has given us the privilege of journeying with. So how might the church respond? Let me suggest a few ways this morning. I brought a few things uh, on a table at the back, and uh, there's a little pile of, um, of, of sheets there on ways to respond to the refugee crisis. And those are just general kinds of ways with some... Um, prayer helps, uh, some websites, some reading resources, some suggestions of how to engage and how to be supportive, how to learn about the refugee crisis. All of us can become more informed and have intelligent conversations with our neighbors and friends, co-workers, and uh, church congregants. For those of you who would like to be a little more connected with Journey Home and receive our newsletter or be in our prayer team, there are some response cards that you could fill out and leave there, and we'd be happy to involve you in one of those ways. Some of you might uh, be interested in a more specific volunteer role, and there's some uh, sheets there giving you some ideas of, of what is involved there. We've had church small groups carry out projects. But I know for your church, your first priority is to be faithful in supporting your refugee initiative and surrounding your committee and your group with prayer and support and love and a helping hand as you prepare to receive your family. And I want to encourage you to really rally around Aaron and the team as they prepare and get ready for this newly arriving family. If there's ways in which we can help you do that, I hope that you'll call on us. Let me suggest a couple of possibilities and options. We're pretty excited about our newest adventure, our Refugee Claimant Sponsorship Program. Sponsorship Program, sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? Well, we're piloting this with a couple of churches, uh, a, a church in Vancouver and hopefully now a church in Burnaby that's coming on board. And we're suggesting that for those churches who maybe aren't prepared or ready to actually sponsor their own family, or who are sponsoring a family but are looking at that being quite a ways out in the future, we're suggesting why not come and be involved with Journey Home and support a claimant family that's already arrived. And maybe with us, learn the ropes of what is all involved in sponsoring a family. A family that's already here and is just looking for someone to care for them and come alongside. And so this church has formed a team, just like you have, and they're supporting a newly arriving refugee family from Kurdish area of Iraq. We've trained them in exactly the kind of support our staff provides. So they can carry out the same work of providing housing, resettlement assistance, and relational care. 
And we'll continue with them in ongoing coaching and mentoring and helping them follow through and what it means to walk alongside and sponsor a newly arriving family. Our sponsorship program, of course, doesn't require a lot of funding because uh, refugee claimant families are able to access income assistance. Uh, unlike privately sponsored groups like your family, which you have promised to support for the first year of their arrival in Canada. We're hoping that after the first family that our church friends will be well on their way to maybe taking an additional family and an additional family, families that we would not have had the capacity to care for. Or an alternative part to that sponsorship program is being carried on by another church. Our families stay in our refugee program at our Olivet Houses for the first three to five months of their stay in Canada. A lot of the heavy refugee settlement work is done in those first three to five months. After that, we don't have the capacity to carry on in a long-term supportive relationship. We do the best we can. We provide some support. We have uh, Journey Home community events we invite them into. But we're looking for churches who might be willing to adopt a family that is moving out of emergency housing into the community and is just needing a, a church to come along and support them and help them and give them some relational care. Those might be a couple of ways that you might consider. I'm absolutely in no way taking away from your initiative and what you're doing. I fully support and endorse that and applaud you for moving forward with this strong initiative as Hillside. If you feel that one of these other options could maybe be a way for you to fully engage, keep the momentum going with your group, and uh, also give help to a family that's already here, love to chat with you more about that as uh, you maybe give some prayerful consideration to that. In closing, I'd like to just share a, a short story of a family who arrived to just to give you a little idea of what it means and what it can mean to come alongside a refugee family. I'll call them Abdul and Fatima, and they left Iran a number of years ago. It's hard to get out of Iran, so they hired a smuggler to provide some false documentation so they could get out of the country, and they began this long journey to eventually arrive in Canada. She had come to faith in Iran and had to, of course, meet secretly with other believers. He was not yet at that point, but strongly supportive of his wife and uh, more moderate in his beliefs. On the way, Abdul had a dream. Jesus came to him in one of these countries and he wrote his name on the soles of Abdul's shoes. And from that point on, Abdul knew it was going to be okay. They arrived in Canada and somehow found their way to Journey Home Community. They had a daughter. And it was just about Easter time when they came. And I remember inviting them to our Good Friday service at the church. And they attended and were overwhelmed with this large gathering of people freely worshiping. It was so unusual. And it was such an exhilarating experience for them. Well, they were interested, and uh, particularly Abdul, in learning more about the faith of his wife and, and others, and so began to be involved in the Discovering Jesus classes. And eventually, he came to faith 
Their whole family was baptized. And um, they are carrying on in this uh, journey with Christ. The last I talked to Abdul, he was starting to talk thoughts of should he be going back to Iran at some point and sharing faith and becoming a missionary and, and all of these kinds of things. Oh, they had it pretty easy in Iran. He had a, I think, a women's dress shop, and he said, James, I used to just sit at the counter counting money as it came in, and now he was involved. The work that he found was demolition work and suiting up and, uh, and working with hazardous material, and it was hard, tough work. It's been a hard road, but he's worked his way up. He's been a, a strong worker. He's been faithful. He's, been become, uh, he's become supervisor in his company, and uh, they've really taken off in their journey. A little vignette of what God does in the lives of people whom he's moving around the world. Remember the passage in Acts where it talks about God scattering the nations to accomplish his purposes. He's bringing a Syrian family to you via Lebanon. He's bringing families to journey home. And he's given us this great, amazing privilege to be faithful in walking with these families, living into this kingdom adventure, and reaping the benefits of this grand and joyous, wonderful experience of working in cooperation with God. I'd like to encourage Hillside today to continue to be attentive of what God is inviting you into as you reflect on your response to the refugee family that you're supporting and the refugees that we meet in our neighborhoods. We need to find ways to sustain our response so it doesn't become just a one-off exercise where we have a temporary activity and then move on to other things. Globalization needs a sustained response. And I believe God is calling us to build radical hospitality into the very fabric of our churches. Join the grand adventure of this kind of kingdom living. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. Father, come and indwell our churches and our lives with this kind of kingdom living invitation. And may we respond with the littleness of our faith so that you can expand and grow it into a large faith that begins to see with your eyes and to experience with your heart all that you are longing for us to experience and ways in which we can serve. So we submit ourselves to you today. Amen.